great to have on the press box another special guest. You know, we like to bring in the best. And here this week, we have in studio uh, one of uh, South Australia's favourites, and I know one of our country's favourites too. He works with Channel 7 here in Adelaide uh, with the news and also with a whole range of sports spanning football into, uh, into basketball, which he's most well known for. He goes to the Olympics and does just about everything there. We speak of the man John Casey, and he joins us here on the press box. Welcome, John. Thanks very much for having us, guys. Great to be here. It's great to have you. Uh, magnificent journey yours. I want to get stuck into that shortly, but um, you in Adelaide right now, um, taking part in the news and, and doing what you do with all the basketball work and, and the footy, you know, how good of a lifestyle is it for you to do what you do? Absolutely fantastic, and that was part of the reason that I moved back to South Australia, because Adelaide's uh, the world's most livable city as far as I'm <laughs> concerned. You know, it's easy for me to get around, and with the kids, I've got three kids who go to school in the western suburbs. I don't go through a traffic light to uh, take them to school, and they can just wander home at their own leisure, and uh, it's just a beautiful place, lovely beaches. Why wouldn't you want to live in Adelaide? Well, you started in New South Wales, because that's where you're from, so tell us a little bit about how you got started, really. Well, I started in Broken Hill. I was born and bred in Broken Hill and got a cadetship on the local newspaper there, the Barrier Daily Truth, way back in, uh, wow, how many years ago was that? 1979, I think it was. I left high school and got a cadetship on the local newspaper there. And growing up in a small country town, it allows you to get involved in all different types of media. The newspaper, once I was there and got into sports very quickly and then uh, got a gig on the radio and did a little bit of TV work as well. So it was a really good grounding. And as I think most people in this industry know, if you get involved uh, at, at the grassroots level in a small country town, you get a lot of opportunities to uh, sink or swim. And lucky enough, I was able to dog paddle fast enough <laughs> and keep moving. There's <laughs> not much water in Broken Hill either. <laughs> no, that's right. That was another plus. <laughs> uh, so how did you get to the mighty Adelaide in South Australia? Uh, good question. Yeah, I actually went via... Uh, Melbourne, left Broken Hill at the end of my cadetship and was lucky enough to get a role on the Herald Sun newspaper, which at the time was the biggest selling uh, daily in the Southern Hemisphere and just a fantastic place to get experience at. And spent 18 months there at the Herald Sun. I was desperate to get into sport because that was my always my first love. But there was no real opportunity to get into the sports department there. Back in those days, in the early 80s, they wanted you to be what they called a corporate journalist, where you learnt everything, which was great uh, as well. I look back now and I think it's fantastic they didn't allow me to go straight into sport because I had to do police rounds in Russell mm. Street, had to do the courts, had to do a parliament up at Spring Street, uh, which was uh, just a great grounding for a journalist. And and um, you know, I was able to do some part-time work for the Sunday Press and the Sporting Globe and, uh, and horse racing, which was fantastic. They used to pay me to go to Flemington and, yeah, back, wow. and, lo- and lose my wages uh, on the punt. <laughs> <laughs> so I-, I figured that was a break even, though. I was there working and any money I lost, well, I'd, you know, I earned it anyway. So uh, I wasn't sure you got some, some, a couple of good tips from the, the trainers or the track? Well, you know, funnily enough, I did get a couple of good tips, but uh, you end up getting uh, far too many bad tips as right. well. So, uh, <laughs> I yeah. know what that's like as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's in the negative, I'd have to say, my punting uh, ability. But, um, oh, it's a lot of fun, though. You know mostly for your commentary on the NBL, but did you always gravitate towards basketball? No, not at all. Uh, when I first started, uh, went from Melbourne, came here to Adelaide, worked at the Adelaide News, and then uh, got to Channel 7 or Channel 10, as it was then, before they changed call signals. Mm. And I got into TV just to, again, expand my horizons, learn another skill, get some more experience in terms of TV reporting, which is vastly different to newspaper reporting, and does take a lot of time to try and you know, be able to 
get things down and condense them uh, into a short one-minute story when the main actuality is coming from your guest or the, the host or the talent, as we call them. So it was uh, it was a real uh, interesting phase in my career, and I had no real uh, ambitions to be a sports commentator at all. I was just more in, inclined to try and improve myself as a journalist. And then a few opportunities came along, and then after you've done a couple of things, mm-hmm. and the very first thing I did was powerboat racing down at Port Adelaide, which I had absolutely race. no idea about. Only lasted, I think, one season down there. It was a leg of the Australian Championships and they needed someone to call powerboat racing and I put my hand up straight away because I thought, well, how else are you going to learn unless you get the experience? Right. So I put my hand up for that and then you get a taste for it and you think, well, look, I'd really like to try it. And I was desperate to get a crack at AFL because it was my first love football growing up and playing sport. And I didn't really want to be a football commentator, but I wanted an opportunity to see if I could do it. And mm-hmm. if I could do it, then I'd be happy and happy to move on from there. But I never wanted to, like everyone, you don't want to die wondering what if. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, if I went and tried my hand at AFL commentary and was hopeless and was embarrassing and you know sort of got asked to uh, uh, find another gig, then that would have been fine by me because it was more about just getting the experience and having an opportunity to do it and then taking it from there. And things just snowballed from there. And as different sports came along uh it was just an opportunity to uh to try and expand again the challenges that you have and the skill set that you have and so it wasn't necessarily basketball was my main focus it just sort of it worked that way how is it that you uh, now are so deep in basketball do you do you love it more than maybe you initially ever thought you would no, I, look, I love all sport, I have mm. to say. I think like all of you guys, if you're a sports nut, I can sit down and watch anything For and, sure. and find a, a entertainment value and an interest value in it. And, you know, I sit there at the cricket and uh, my wife, one sport she doesn't like at all is cricket and she can't work out how you can sit there and watch cricket <laughs> all can, day. I can and relate I think, with that. Yeah, I think I think there's, there's a lot of that out there. But I would sit, I'd go to the Adelaide Oval and watch a test match and I sit in the crowd there and I, I'm, I'm moving the field. You know, I used to captain a bit when I was playing cricket growing up and you're sitting there thinking, oh, gee, I'd move that slip out. I don't think we need that third slip anymore. So you think your way through it. But, yeah, just I, uh, I having done a lot of basketball, I do love basketball, but as I say, it's not sort of – it's my favourite sport ahead of any other one because uh, I'm, I'm just uh, really excited about being involved in any sport, no matter what it is. Uh, so when you go as a fan to a sport, do you, mm. do you see yourself uh, – do you hear yourself commentating while uh, – and people around going, uh, come on, what, what's going on here? I've, I've never act- – yeah, it's a good question. I've never actually started commentating sort of you know, involuntary and had anyone turn around and sitting in front of me or next to me saying, what the hell's going on here? Uh, but I have to say I do sometimes uh, – fall into the trap of starting to commentate and then I have to shake my head and say, come on, man, you know, just enjoy the moment. You, know, yeah, you well, don't have to be commentating. Was there, has there been any requests? No, in <laughs> fact, no, no. I haven't had anyone. Uh, although one day I remember at Footy Park going back many, many years, I had a, this is before I got into the caper, and there was an American there who had no idea about, it was his first ever uh, SANFL game it might have been. It might have been a state game, in fact, but he had no idea what was going on, and so I was explaining to him exactly what they were trying to achieve. And uh, he was uh, he was very thankful for that because he had no idea what was going on. And the, the Americans find Australian football very foreign and very, you know, there's not enough rules or regulations or lines on the field or something for mm. them to understand the rules. And I think for Australians, you know, it's converse the other way. You look at what the American football does, and today we saw the Super Bowl, Super Bowl yeah. and it takes a while to get a handle yeah. on what they're trying to achieve as well. So... Uh, 
that's the only time I've come close to actually starting to commentate. <laughs> Sometimes I go to a sporting event uh, and, and my kids will ask me, you know, so give us some commentary, Dad. And yeah. I say, oh, you, and, you know, I say to oh. them, you give me some. Yes. You know? <laughs> I love what I do. You, know, yeah. you might be a commentator one day. Well, why don't you start yeah. commentating? And every now and again, they'll have a crack at it. But I think as everyone sitting here knows and listening, probably people who've got a bent for this sort of uh, caper, they know that it's, uh, it's not as easy as it looks. Mm. And to actually do it by yourself, if you're trying to practice or rehearse or get better, I don't know that you can actually do it by yourself because uh, it's just too hard. You really need someone to bounce off. Now, uh, you speak about that. Uh, people take commentary, uh, obviously, uh, it's at any stage of their life. And Dale's one of those men oh. who's really jumped <laughs> yeah, in no. uh, very late in his career. He's decided, look, Good, I've, done, I've, done, I've, done, I've done the, the podcasting stuff, I've done newspapers, but yep. I've never done live sporting commentary. So he had a dip uh, late last year with the 36ers. He went straight to the NBL. He went straight, straight to the top. To the top. And straight to the top. He, right in the death of the game, like, this is when the, the crucial moment. We yeah. want you to have a listen to this. This was Dale What's having a crack. Man? Give, us, give us a rating, a grade on Dale's call here. <laughs> <laughs> Dying moments in a 36ers home game. Now Randall through the lane. Up and under. Oh, pretty roll. Razzle dazzle. <laughs> that was pretty good. Yeah. I think he's got a future. Well, there you go. Yeah. Future. Yeah. First layup to win the game against Brisbane. Bit of razzle dazzle. We love yeah. that. No, that was excellent. <laughs> <laughs> no, we love that. Oh, <laughs> dearie me. The one thing, though, that you did do is you called uh, live at the game. One thing that you've yes. now had to transition into, John, is the fact that you're no longer at the games for the NBL oh, and you're yes, now calling out of what Dale calls a caravan. The caravan. It's a television screen in a studio. So, yeah. How, how, I mean, I know you've done it for the Olympics before and other things like that, but how is it to call off a screen as opposed to being there and being able to soak in that atmosphere and bring it to the, to the viewer? Yeah, it's a real challenge. It's much harder. Uh, if you're not at the venue there live watching, it's really tough to try and call it. Not necessarily from the point of view that you don't get the emotion or the roar of the crowd, but you just don't see things that you can see when you're there. Uh, we're restricted mm. to what you see on the monitor, which is exactly what the people at home are seeing. And mm. sometimes, and I find myself, I don't know what the percentage would be, but it would be, I would hazard to guess, 10%, maybe 15% of the time that I'm not actually watching the play. I'm watching what's happened behind the play or yeah, ahead yeah. of the play. Umpire or, or referees. Or the referees, yeah. or particularly if someone's injured and they've gone to the bench. And I'll watch yeah. to see if they're going mm. straight out of the stadium to the change rooms or if mm. they're staying there. And the game is in your peripheral vision. Uh, and usually, you know, you hand over to your co-commentator at that stage if you want to keep an eye on something that's not actually happening in the game. But but it is really tough. Uh, but it's just a challenge that you have to rise to. And I think I did uh, two NBL games just a couple of weeks ago out of the hub in Melbourne. Uh, it's the first time I've done it for a while. And I wanted to get a little bit more experience at it because that's why we're going to be mm. doing the basketball for the Tokyo Olympics for right, the first right. time in a long time. We won't be going to the venue. And we're lucky enough to go to Rio and London and, you know, Sydney well before that yeah. but it's uh, so I was keen just to get my hand back in because it's not something you get to do on a regular basis and it's a real challenge and you need to work I think a little bit in just in terms of making sure that you remain upbeat for it even though you're not there you have to almost picture yourself there mm. take yourself there because that's what you're there to do really is to bring that excitement to the fans the people yeah. who are listening or watching mm. and even though you're not there you somehow have to try and manufacture that I guess 
So you said the Tokyo Olympics are in a in a hub now. Is that is that in Australia or is that still in Tokyo? Or do you... No, unfortunately, we we won't be going no, to Tokyo. Tokyo. I'll be right. calling the the men's basketball for Channel Seven with Andrew Gaze again, as we did in Rio Beautiful. and as we did in London. And he's such a gem to work with. And I was surprised when Andrew told me that he'd never been to Japan. He's been to China a right. hundred times. He's been mm. all around the world, as we mm. know. He's played all around the world, but he'd never been to Japan, and nor have I. So we're disappointed that we won't be there on site. But just the expense of the Olympics in Tokyo is astronomical, as it is anywhere, basically. But certainly in Tokyo, uh, it is a very expensive place. And the IOC, because they're not drawing as much money from the rights, they're now putting up the prices of your commentary position and your edit facilities and everything else. So they're trying to get their money back that way. And unfortunately, uh, there won't be a great presence on the ground in Tokyo for Channel 7. I think it's being restricted to the athletics and the swimming commentators Mm, and a few other sundry other items and sports that are going on. But uh, Andrew Gaze and I will be in a a studio in Melbourne calling Mm. the Boomers win a gold medal, I hope. Hopefully. (laughs) Hopefully. So I was going to ask about the whole virus threat because before Rio, it was the Zika virus and everyone Went, went over there, yeah. but obviously don't have to worry about that. Now you're in my caravan. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think caravan might nice be a quarantine. Yeah. It'll be a Humpty. It'll be a, you know, it'll be something well, at least a little the good thing basic. is you won't have to sleep on the boxes, the cardboard boxes that they're making. Oh, there. no, no. They look okay, though. <laughs> And to be honest with you, I think we'd all sit here and say, uh, look, if I have to sleep on a cardboard yeah, box and be in Tokyo, yeah. I'd be, yeah, yeah, that'll do. It's it kind of, I, think we talk, I think we talked about it uh, earlier during the last season, how the NBL was sort of moving forward with, you know, making sure they had all these next generation stars that come over. Seems like the league is exploding. And then all of a sudden they take a backward step in having this sort of commentary set up. Do you see it sticking around or how do you see it? Because there has been a lot of negative feedback surrounding it. Yeah, there was initially. And I think that's because some of the problems that they had they needed to iron out we had a new broadcast partner this year for the NBL and I think that it's unfortunately from my point of view the way of the future a lot more sports will be going down that track rather than basketball going back to being on site I think that you'll find a lot more sports and they do it in the AFL at the moment in the pre-season games Fox Sports call games off the tube in the hub in Melbourne and just have a sideline reporter at the game as we do with the NBL so I think that's just unfortunate is the economic realities of television broadcasting these days in here in Australia Mm. doesn't seem to happen in the United States every major event that I've been to you rock up and NBC do the Olympics and they will be there and they take over basically half the international broadcast centre where everyone is located. One half of the building will be NBC and the other half of the building will be the rest of the world and they just go over the top. And I remember in Rio, Andrew Gaze and I, because we uh, were from Australia and not sort of high up the pecking order in terms of broadcast Mm -hmm. partners, our position, uh, well, to quote Andrew, he said the game was a mere rumour from where we were sitting. <laughs> we were that far away. Uh, and NBC are the only people on the court side. They have their commentary position there, monitors, stats monitor, and the three commentators sit there and a producer. And they wouldn't rock up unless the Americans were playing. So we'd be perched up a long way from the action and we're looking down at the court and on the court is this commentary position that just would be ideal oh, for what you wanted to do and it's vacant. So, But they have the money and they can afford to pay for that uh, and that's the way that, that unfortunately for us that's the way it was. Well, I say unfortunately, it's certainly nothing <laughs> unfortunate about being in Rio yeah, that's right. <laughs> commentating the Olympic right. Games. Now, you were just mentioning before about how there was a general courtside reporter at every NBA game this year. I wanted to ask, because you, you started off the season basically 
quickly as those sort of roving uh, special comments at the Adelaide Entertainment Centre. I want to know, because only late uh, into the season, you would jump into the commentary box and resume the main calling. Was that something you missed or you were uh, asked later on that, hey, John, we kind of want you in the, in the main chair? Well, it was. I really did miss calling and I was glad that I was able to call a couple of games. And I also call some WNBL for Fox Sports, which yes. keeps my hand in as well. So I'm looking forward to the Lightning semi-final coming up in a couple of weeks that I'll be calling. But yeah, it was uh, difficult not being able to call. But I have to say, once I got my head around the fact that I wasn't going to be calling as many games as I would have liked, the actual role at courtside is completely different. It's where I actually started in basketball yep. at the Apollo Stadium back in 1987, sitting on the end of the 36ers bench with Mike McKay mm-hmm. and Scotty Ninnis in their rookie years. Mm-hmm. And that that was just uh, an amazing experience and it's a different role and it takes some time to get your head around that but I took it on as more of a challenge okay I haven't done a lot of this mm. how do I do it I watched how the other people were doing it in in every other state and how do I do it better how do I make it to make what I'm my input something that the, the listeners and the viewers are going to enjoy so yeah. I've really uh, embraced it sort of the, the longer the season has gone on and really enjoyed it well what we did enjoy was when uh, I reckon it was late last year again the Australian boom and the Team USA came to town and we saw some of the most incredible basketball we'll remember for a long, long time and you were centre to it all. Uh, Tell us about the experience, being able to sit there and witness some of the great basketball that was uh, thrown our way and then a win against Team USA. Absolutely amazing. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's uh, obviously a moment in Australian sports history and I had, look, I had the feeling that Australia would be able to beat them and a lot of people sort of you know, raised some eyebrows when I tweeted that. And I said, you know, there's two games. I'm not going to be surprised if Australia wins one of these Mm. games. And I was half of the opinion that the United States obviously had a weakened team, which Mm. opened the door for us a little bit. I thought that our players were going to be... It meant more to them than to the Americans because we'd never beaten them. Mm. And any win, even though it's an exhibition game, Mm. is still a victory. And when you're chasing your first victory, it doesn't matter where it is or what time of the day it is or what competition it is, it's your first ever win. And it's a huge hump for Australian basketball to get over. So I was glad that they were able to do that and played so well. And, yeah, it's just amazing. Any time you're around the the USA basketball team, the amount of stuff that goes on with it and the security and the people and the helpers and the staff and so forth is just way over the top. But I have to say they were really friendly. The players were outstanding, very good with their time. Uh, it was really interesting and quite a challenge interviewing Greg Popovich, yeah. who uh, yeah, people would know has, has a <laughs> reputation yeah. for making it difficult. And he certainly didn't make was- my job easy. I interviewed him a couple of times pre-game. And in fact, the first time I interviewed him pre-game, it wasn't my role, but there'd been a mix-up in terms of when the teams were arriving and we had one crew at one end of the stadium at Marvel Stadium with the reporter or with our uh, colour commentator who was to do the interview with Greg Popovich and they were there doing Andre Lamanis and the Australian team and there was no way that they were going to get from where they were to where they needed to be to do Popovich so at the last minute they said you're going to have to interview Greg Popovich oh. and uh, uh, yeah that's sort Daunting of uh, yeah, not a message yeah, you want to receive uh, beads of sweat started to appear <laughs> on my forehead and I thought, you just don't want to make a goose of yourself right. really <laughs> because you know off. he's not going to be easy to interview so uh, I quickly said to Shane Hill and Andrew Gaze, look, this is what's happened. I'm going to interview him. What would you suggest I ask? And between us, we worked out a plan of attack where we'd ask some questions. What was the plan of attack? Well, I think it was just to ask him questions 
you, you don't want to be controversial. Much have been made of the fact they were weakened and so forth. Mm-hmm. But it's and it's it's the art of asking the right question is don't ask a closed question. If you get a mm-hmm. yes or no, mm-hmm. you know, that's not going to work for yeah. anyone. So and that's more of a challenge if you sit down and think about it to ask a question where the person can't say yes or no. So you have to lead them into yeah. a little bit. Um, and he, he made us sweat. He made us wait. He walked past a couple of times and looked at us out the corner of his eye <laughs> like he was sizing us up and stuff. And he, and, uh, but uh, they were very gracious with their time. And I think that they appreciated how important the series was mm. to Australia. And I think uh, Popovich having such a great relationship with Paddy Mills uh, certainly helped ease the, uh, the situation a little. So you've covered a lot of sport. You've covered football. You've covered basketball. You've covered... Power, power boat races. Yeah, power don't forget boat power boats. Where it all everything in between. What's the biggest story that you've covered and, and the biggest game that you've covered? Well, that would be pretty close. I think the Australian boomers beating the United States uh, would have to come close to that, only because it's such an important marker for basketball mm-hmm. in this country. As I say, even though it's an exhibition game, they were playing to win. They had the best team available and vice versa for Australia. So that was just a massive uh, a massive time in Australian sport. And any time you're at the Olympics, uh, in Sydney I called three different sports. I did most of the boxing and did basketball and did soccer as well, which was uh, a real challenge. And, you know, one of the most memorable times that I've had, I wasn't actually commentating, was when I was reporting and I was on a boat as Susie Moroni swam the English Channel. Oh. And it was just one of the most amazing experiences. Uh, The the late, great Des Renford was in the boat with us. Uh, Susie's mum and brother were in the boat with us. And it was just horrendous what was going on. She she was hallucinating. I thought she was going to drown at one stage. Um, they were handing her because you're not allowed to touch the swimmer. Mm. They have to be held, you know, at, at, not allowed to touch the boat, rest on the boat. You're not allowed to hand them. So they would hand things in almost like a pool net scoop type scenario. And they would send this out via the pole and they were feeding her red cordial and Tim Tams. And this was just to keep the energy levels sugar. up because she needed sugar. Because she was hallucinating. She wanted to get out. She said, I've had enough. I can't go on. I had to turn away and not look. And wow. Des Renford, to his credit, with that experience behind him, was just saying, you'll be fine, Susie. You'll get your second win. Just keep going. Keep going. Wow. And I'm, ch- I'm thinking, oh, my God. How far girl. is this into the swim? Is this-, this is halfway into the swim. Um, so and, and she was swimming. To, yeah, she was swimming to Cape Grenade and back was the plan. Oh. And, oh boy! Uh, and it was just amazing. And I'll say, when people ask me what the most uh, sort of interesting or memorable thing that you've done, that's right up there because just the the unbelievable ability of Susie Moroni to keep going. And actually, she made it across to Cape Grenade, got up onto the shore, and then swam back out to the boat. And she said, "Look, I'm not going to come back." And I thought, thank God for that, because I, I don't think I could you know, sit through this. I'm, I'm, I'm more fatigued than you are just watching this, and I feel like I've swam the entire way from you know from Britain to, uh, Britain to uh, France. So it's yeah, that's one of the most amazing things that I've ever seen, and, and I just I'll never forget seeing that. I uh, I just wanted to look at some of the things you've done in in the past, and, and that's you know the Olympics and and all the sports that you've done, and what at the end of the day the common denominator for you is how much you prepare and how well you prepare. Um, we all look at the people like Bruce McAvaney who just his, his preparation is king, you know, to make sure you do the best and give yourself every chance. You need to just do hours and hours. How much do you put in? It's endless. Um, you know, today was my day off and I was doing WNBL and NBL stuff and Olympic stuff as well. It's, I guess if you have a love for it, and we're sports fans, all of us, that I don't really see it as a job. You just have to be careful with the 
in terms of, you know, uh, allowing yourself to have family time yeah. and, and do other things that you should be doing? Because it is a trap. I'm sure all of you have done it. Mm. And that you start researching a game and the two hours you set aside for it turn into four hours oh, yeah. and you keep mm. getting uh, directed elsewhere <laughs> if you're searching on the net and stuff. Like, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. That's got nothing to do with what I'm actually looking for. Well, yeah. I'll write that down for yeah, next that's time. Right. Razzle dazzle will include this one. <laughs> <laughs> that might not get into the notebook. Uh, <laughs> no, we can work that in, I think. That's under copyright. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, Bruce McAvaney's been a great mentor to me and took me under his wing very early on when I was at Channel 7 and provided me with advice and just steered me in the right direction. But I think it comes down to no matter how much research you do, any preparation that you do for a game or for the Olympics, you can still do more. Mm. And you always feel like, have I done enough? Um, but it's just a matter of having uh, having the details there that you think and you work your way through it, most important to least important, you get as far down the list as you can. and. Mm. You know, look, I still do games, the 36ers game that we had on the weekend. I still prep for that as if I'm commentating because I still feel like I need to know all these things. Mm. And you end up using 5% or 10%, but it's there in your residual memory. um, And these things come to you and you just have a good or you're confident enough to say, well, that is X, Y or Z. Mm. And and that's just through spending a lot of time. Uh, But I love it. So I don't feel like it's a chore. It's just uh, it's interesting. And uh, I just uh, love what I do. Now, you've tweeted some of that research. I've read yeah. some of those tweets. How many four-colour pens have you gone through <laughs> <laughs> in your lifetime? Well, you know, I did. I started using the, the two-coloured pen and went to the four, but the four is far too bulky, so I've had to go back to the two. Two? Oh, uh, no. So, generally speaking, it'll be red and blue, and then if you need a pencil, then I'll throw that one in there as well. <laughs> but it just comes in handy for different things that you need to highlight. I found, and you'll see a lot of the commentators use that type of scenario um but uh, i think if you can that's why i like sharing it because i wish more people did it I, i'd mm. like to see mcavaney's notes i'd like to see brian taylor do you want to see mine oh, i'd like it. to see because i've just pulled notes. this out of my bag you inspired me in a way through wow. those tweets that you do just to th- sort of go through a different system of trying to you know get so this is for cricket i've that's got my excellent. book here and yep. it's just a whole bunch of different colors with just stats on every player and all the little things you just don't think you're going to need until you need it yeah and so for you what you would do is you'd have scores from every quarter but then also past games and all yep. sorts of little little things and look the amount of numbers that were on your sheets that i just go what does that mean yeah and i just want to know what it meant and so i'd go through them and sort of go well, that adds up to that and that must be his game for it was unbelievable and it sort of makes you think those are the the, the notes and the the little things you need to grab onto at the last second when you didn't realize probably at the time when you're preparing you're going to need it that's right yeah and you know they allow you to just paint a more thorough picture of what's going on or put things into context if that's the highest scoring quarter or mm. his highest score of the year or that's broken a record. It just adds gravitas mm. to what you're actually watching. And people at home, I know that myself, if someone something really happens exciting and then someone says, well, that's a new record, you go, wow, I saw a world record. Yeah. You know, it, it just adds to the enjoyment factor for the viewer or the listener and um, yeah I'd encourage everyone to do it a lot of commentators don't do it but when I first started doing it because I didn't have any experience when I first started I just felt that I wanted to keep notes just so I had something to talk about in case there was something Mm. that you know like we had the other night in Wollongong where the roof Mm. started to leak and the 
the producer says, just keep talking. And two <laughs> hours later, uh, you hope you've got plenty to talk about because sometimes you need that. And, I, you know, it's evolved over a period of time. I've still got my – I keep them all. I've got my first basketball game that I did, and it consisted of the, the players who were the starting fives, their score at halftime, their score at the end of the game, and then just the running total that I keep during the game. So you can throw in a stat of they scored 10 in a row or the biggest lead of the game, or sometimes they've hit the lead for the first time in the mm. game and it's in the last quarter. Unless you're keeping those – notes or unless that's supplied for you then you don't you're not able to throw that in or add to that and a lot of the times you don't have uh, a stats monitor you have to keep Mm -hmm. your own sometimes a stats monitor will break down Mm -hmm. the connection disappears if you don't keep your own notes then you're completely lost Uh, if you've got your own rudimentary score of the game as you're following at least you've got something to refer back to and you can paint the picture for the listener and that's your job I know you mentioned Bruce McAvaney before (laughs) how much did you and what did you learn from Uh, him well before you say that he's actually been a guest on our show has he he's been a guest last season and he was amazing and I wanted to say what sort of impact did he have on your mm. uh, life and commentary uh, career? You know, he just sets such a high standard. And I think that's what uh, came across to me that, you know, he shared some of the, gave me some tips on the way he does things, uh, but was also very mindful of saying, now you need to, you'll have your own system and you need to work out what's best for you and what works for you. But just to have his support, a few tips here and there, see the way that he does it and I remember when Bruce was at the 80 or 84 Olympics and he was considered the best sports broadcaster in the world. Wow. And you know, he was he was commentating world championships for the athletics because they could have anyone in the world. They said, we want Bruce McAvaney because he's the best in the world. So when you're getting tips and information and sharing conversations with the best in the world, it really does motivate you to be the best mm. that you can be. And you know, I don't think I'm ever going to be as good as Bruce McAvaney, mm. but I can try and you know, catch up to where Bruce McAvaney is, and that's what I really drew from him was that inspiration that um, you know, keep working hard and it never stops. You know, every game you well, learn he, he something. He said different. that he hadn't perfected it. He still was that's searching right. for perfection. Exactly, and and that's what keeps you going. Is you're never going to call a perfect game. And I, I know Bruce, and I, I did hear the podcast with Bruce, and I remember him either on that podcast or elsewhere talking about how much pressure he felt calling Kathy Freeman's mm-hmm. race in yeah. Sydney. Yeah. Uh, so you know, it's not easy. It is a lot of pressure, but we love what we do and that's what drives you and and you strive to do the best that you can and and just uh you know it's just a continual uh, work in progress now i asked bruce this too so i'm going to ask it again is there something you want to commentate that you haven't Mm. yet uh, yeah, anything I haven't commentated. <laughs> so dragon boat racing is crossed off the list. Yeah, yeah. I've got no power, power boats. boats, but dragon boats, I'd be interested oh, in that. Power. No, I'm happy to have a crack at that. No, it really is because I, I found – look, this is a true story. When we were at Fox Sports, when it first started and I was there from day one, they employed myself and Andy Pascalides and Anne-Marie Kerr, who was an Olympic mm-hmm. gymnast, and we were the three hosts. And the first week we were there, they said, look, we're going to host everything out of the studio. We've got all this content from overseas, but we don't have any Australian content, but we're going to the market and we're going to get as much as we can because that's going to be our lifeblood. So we want you just to write down a list of the sports that you have a history in or a background in or that you're interested in. I walked around the office for the next couple of hours talking to every 
everyone. Techos, you know, the cleaners, everyone in the building. It's like, yeah, what's a sport starting with X? I went through the A to Z and I wrote down every sport because I thought, I don't care what they get first. Uh, I know it's not going to be AFL. It's probably not going to be cricket. You know, it's going to take a while to get the big ticket yeah, items. But yeah. if they come up with some obscure sport, I want that to be on yeah, my if list. Badminton, I know. Back to front. Yeah. And I will learn. learn Even, yeah. I, so I'm, you know, I'll sort of fudge your way through it as best you can or do the work that you can to get yourself up to speed for it. But I was just keen to do anything. And, and, you know, I'd love to do any sport that I haven't done because I found with the basketball, you learn something, you take that to football and football vice versa. You can take it back to basketball. So you learn every sport is different and you sort of research it differently and you also take notes during play differently and you learn from everything and you get a better, you get a better end product and become a better broadcaster, I think, just from experience. Well, Fox Sports got the NBL, and you and Steve Carfino pretty much lived on my TV screen for for, for a decade. Apologies so, for that. So, so uh, how, how was that relationship? How did that all start, and how did it all unfold? Yeah, I think uh, you know we were thrown together, and um, at the very start. We had a few different people coming through because it was impossible to do every game. Uh, we did most of them. Um, but Steve and I formed a really good relationship. And the, with anyone that you work with, and Andrew Gaze is uh, someone I work with on a regular basis now, perhaps more than Steve, that you build a rapport. And for me, as a broadcaster, the people that I get to work with, Steve Carfino or Andrew Gaze or Timmy Ginever on the sand for Oh, yes, mm. Timmy. He's fantastic to work with. And I really look at it and think, you know, people don't really care what I think. They just want me to tell them what's happening mm. and they want to hear what Tim yeah. Ginevor or Andrew Gaze or mm. Steve Carfino, yeah. these expert commenters, what they have to say because they've been in the heat of the battle and been there and done that. And I'm always very conscious of that, that it's not about what I think, it's what a, that they think. And sometimes mm. they don't want to tell you what they think because they've got close relationships with the players or Andrew Gaze was great because he never wanted to criticise the referees. His dad was of the opinion that there was no value in that and so he never did it as a player and he found it really difficult. He's getting better at it now. He sat on the fence so many times but, but that was always great to work with Andrew in the early days and lead him into a question and I'd say, Andrew I don't think the referees got that one quite right. How did you see it? You being the expert. Well, um, you know. But now he's quite happy happy to say and as you need to you know mm. it's progressed a long way since then and and um, you know the NBL referees have been great this year they do make errors as we all do we all make mistakes and they and they're quite happy for us to look at a call see it in replay and say gee they got that one wrong and then leave it at that but mm. when the commentators say gee they got that one wrong and then two plays down the track go and remember that call at the other end when it was a clear block and they called it a goal <laughs> 10 you know they don't want you to keep referencing back to it mm. because we don't reference back I oh, remember when Jerome turned the ball over three plays ago yeah. Yeah. so and that, which I think is very fair and you know I, I try and lay off the referees as much as possible you say look there was a bad call clearly on the replay it showed that the mm. foot was on the line and it should have been called that way um, and as long as because the people at home can see that you, you can't try and make out it didn't happen so you say it happened and then you move on but um, yeah it was great working with Steve thorough professional someone who understands the game so well 
um, and uh, just had a knack. He was calling plays, you know, one one beat ahead of when they were happening because he could see what was going to happen next. <laughs> um, but yeah, great, great operator, very good broadcaster. And we're lucky here in Australia, I think, that we have such, a, you know, a good group of colour commentators and expert mm, commentators definitely. right across the board in every sport. It is world class. Yeah, it is right now. Now, you did mention that you're keen to commentate any game. You did put a tweet out last week uh, to Mark, so it might have been a couple of weeks ago, putting your hand up to commentate the recent Bushfire T20 game. Yeah. Now, how flat are you with Mark Soderstrom? Mate? You, did, you didn't get the call up. <laughs> well, you know, when it first started, because it was um, Soda had asked me to do uh, some commentary gigs for him. Uh, for his radio show, and I ended up calling a cricket game just as the colour guy, just yeah. to add a little. It wasn't really the comment, commentary as such, but I think uh, the, the reference that I made to Soda was that if they were going to do this, cover this game, the bushfire appeal game, to raise money for such an important, you know, process that was going on, I thought, look, I'm happy to, do, you know, donate my services to it if you need me and so forth. And then it sort of, you know, it grew, and I'm glad it yeah. did to raising a million dollars mm. and. 30-odd thousand people rocking up to the game, twice as many that went to watch the the big bash final you know, the night before, which is just amazing, but mm. just staggering. But um, as it turned out, it grew legs and was on TV and this and that. And I couldn't, I couldn't work on it anyway because I was at the 36ers game, which oh, I, right. we didn't know at that stage yep. when the date was going to be. I was just putting my hand up, I think just to show support for what I thought was a fantastic idea. And uh, I know Soda's got me penciled in for the great baby race again this year, so I'm pretty excited <laughs> and looking forward to that. The yeah. great baby, the great the, baby race great that we baby. had. Yeah, yeah, at Tea Tree Plaza there one day with the <laughs> Fastest babies in South Australia. Yeah, the crazy things they do on radio. So uh, he had me call that. And uh, I have to say, it was really interesting. You have a bit of fun yeah. with it. And they replayed it on Sunrise. And it got, he, said, he was telling me feedback from overseas. And oh, it was just amazing. But a lot of fun. But again, you do things like that. And you get thrown into or out of your comfort zone. And again, you sink or swim. And you think, mm. you know what? I did that because I had nothing else to go yeah. to. And you, you're like, well, why can't I use that in some form in the professional sense of broadcasting and uh, some things work, some things don't. And even if you do something that doesn't work, you just put a line through that and say, well, okay, I hope I don't, won't do that again. And luckily that was only a small audience uh, listening today and I'm not that embarrassed by it. But uh, it, it's a lot of fun to do those type of things. I stumbled across something uh, during the week when we found out you we, we were happy to come on the show. I thought, oh, I might just have a look and see, like, like you say, find those little things that just people might not know. So I found this, and I, I want you to confirm or deny this. So I have no idea if this is true. Oh, here we go. You were named once upon a time. Oh, no. Uh, so it's true. <laughs> no. The, Did you do this the, in the four-colour pen? The, uh, the Clio <laughs> magazine <laughs> had named you Australia's top one of Australia's top 50 most eligible bachelors. Right. Top 50? Right. Yeah, I made the top 50. Now, what? Well, yes. Very good. Secondly, <laughs> confirm. That's true. <laughs> that is true, yes. Uh, Three, uh, explain. Uh, yeah, well, you know how that... I'll tell you how that happened was that I was, at the time, I'd been in London working in the London Bureau for Channel 7. I'd been out of Adelaide for a year and a half, came back to Adelaide, and um, my job as the weekend sports presenter for Channel 7 actually just came up 
um, available. The guy who replaced me at Channel 7 Adelaide was Peter Overton, okay. who's now uh, reads Channel 9 News in Sydney and one of the network heavyweights. He at the time was working for Sky Channel. So when I left Channel 7 to go to London and work in the London Bureau, they advertised the job. Peter Overton got the job. He was working at Sky Channel and the racing channel as a broadcaster. He saw this as a step up in his career. And I was away for 18 months. And just as I was returning, he was offered a job back in Sydney where he was from. So he quit his his job, my mm. old job, and so I'm going back to Sydney. And Channel 7 were good enough to ring me and say, you know what, your job's just become available. And I said, you know what, I'm on my way back to Australia. <laughs> so it just it was, again, right place at the right time. It all worked out that way. And so I came back to Adelaide, and the publicity department uh, decided that it would be opportune that we needed to lift my profile. I've been off the scene <laughs> oh. for 18 months. Oh, no. <laughs> so they put my name in. As suggested at the entry, and I think of the way th- these things work with Clio Magazine and PR departments <laughs> is that, you know, you explain the story and it doesn't necessarily mean you are one of the 50 most, you know, eligible bachelors. It's just that Channel 7 would like us to give this guy a leg up. Oh, classic. And... It, they might be able to help us in some way down the track, so it's no skin off our nose to give one of the 50 spots to some bloke, oh, some joker boy. who probably doesn't deserve to be in there. But, yeah, it was a lot of fun, and um, it's one of those things that you look back with and say, yeah, well, you've got to enjoy it. So have a bit of fun That's with cool. it. So what sort yeah. of feedback did you have? Did you well, well, that would have been a bit... I'm getting, this, this is about this 19... Is, this is before uh, Instagram and people could slide into your DMs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> how, is that, how does that work? Yeah. I'd like to know how that works, more so than how my word, to be honest. No idea. Sliding in the DMs, you know. <laughs> sounds, uh, sounds interesting. I'll have a crack at that. I don't know that it actually uh, you know, much changed from it because back then, this was, it's turned into a massive event. I think Mark Soderstrom was part of it a couple of years ago as well. And uh, it's just one of those things the that Channel the media... Channel 7 boys. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, 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 the media like to uh, beat up their own little patch and sort of make something out of nothing. It was a lot of fun to be involved. It's turned, as I say, it's turned into a very serious competition now and people sort of... I mm. think do very well out of it financially in terms of gigs and Something stuff about like weekend that. Sport but, readers, I think. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you know, fifty. I mean, it's. Uh, I don't. Don't. You know, I don't think it's I was ever going to get. Yeah. Well, I guess top fifty is better than not. Who won it that year? Who won? Oh, I've nobody. Oh, no, I couldn't, yeah, I, I, I couldn't tell you that. I can't remember who it was either because we. I, I do remember going to the function in Sydney at Luna Park was where they got the fifty of us together and up on stage. And I think because I was, uh, you know, it was only there by default, so to speak. <laughs> through Channel 7, that uh, I might have actually picked up a couple of glasses of champagne on the way in, and by the time they got around to actually revealing who the winner was, it sort of, uh, I think my mind was a little bit scrambled by the occasion. <laughs> I really don't recall exactly what happened after about the a first true hour. Eligible <laughs> yeah, there it is. Yes. <laughs> Living up to the tag, yeah. Now, uh, I want to know if, if this is true. Uh, we've come across this too doing research. There, there, there's a John Casey drinking game. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Yes. Is yes. this I've, true? I've, I've, I've seen some of this. Yeah, yeah it's outstanding. And uh, <laughs> good is this? You've the, got the, your the, drinking game. This is sensational. Now, I, uh, you know... You know about it, and B, do do do, do you th- throw them in and get people absolutely obliterated uh, because of it? You know, I've never thought of that. Yeah. Now, there, now there's something for me to work on. I, why didn't I think of that when this came out? Oh, years ago now, and people were. Uh, you know, having fun with it, I decided it was going to be a lot of fun as well. But I wish I'd thought of that because I just <laughs> sort of went to one and kept repeating, and kept repeating, and kept repeating it. And um, uh, people like to have a little bit of fun with it. But yeah, I mean, it, it's really funny. People ask you about it, and you end up with these. 
euphemisms that yeah. you use or the... Can you give us a couple? Yeah, what have we got there? The user-friendly role, that's always one of the favourites. Yeah, no, there's no. a shot. No, the non-preferred left hand. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, uh, and, but, you know, it's sort of like, even this is former league all-star and Hall of Famer, I mean, that's just something that you throw into the call if you're looking to... You might be unsure, you might be waiting for something to happen, but I think it also adds a little bit to the commentary that someone who's not au fait mm. with the game doesn't know all these behind-the-scenes things or the record of the players mm. and stuff like that. Two pieces of the eye. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. Goes to work. Yeah, yeah some people do criticise the overuse of some of these. And I have to say, at one stage, I went to my boss at Fox Sports and I said to Tony Sinclair, who was in charge at the time, I've been doing basketball for 10 or 12 years and this was sort of growing legs. And I thought, I said, I said to him, you know, do, I, do you think that I need to maybe try my hand at something else? Are people getting stale with the way I call the game? And are they, you know, is it time for me to move on and, you know, maybe try my hand at something else? And he, he's turned around and he said, I don't think that's the case. So he said, have you heard of a guy called Phil Liggett? And, of course, I had. And he said, well, he's been doing cycling for a lot longer than you've been doing basketball. I don't hear too many people complaining about him you know, regurgitating the same type of stuff. So you are conscious of it, and you try and rein it in a little bit here and there. And sometimes I'll even look at a phrase and say, okay, what's another phrase instead of that just to use something differently? And then no, sometimes, no, you, no. You, sometimes you're calling a game and something comes into your head mm. and it comes out of your mouth and you think, where did that come from? <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> razzle, I razzle, razzle. <laughs> exactly. These things happen. You know, they just appear. Um, I have to say it's not uh, – that is irregular that that would happen, but I, I – I do notice that every now and again you say something, you think, well, I've never said that before in my life, and I've got no idea where that came from, but from the visual of seeing it happen through my brain by the time it came out of my mouth, that wasn't me. That was just almost involuntary. That, that That's the way it, I assessed it, and that's the way it came out. So hopefully you get it right most of the time. Well, I, I have some 90s uh, NBL DVDs. So one night we'll sit down, boys. <laughs> oh, good. Have a night. Can I come? Yeah. Yeah. I reckon you know when they'll be outstanding. Yeah, I'll get a get real drunk, I'll, get, I'll get a real feel for how you know, how many times I'll be. I'm still owed two stuff. cartons, so I reckon, I reckon by about half time of the first game, we might need a couple more. Oh, sensational. John, I think it's 45 minutes in. We should probably wrap it up, but you are revered as one of the best in the country when it comes to calling, and uh, we couldn't be more appreciative of your time coming in. You've got a big year ahead. You've got plenty on your plate, so good luck with it all. We'd love to see you again in here at some stage, and uh, yeah, have a great year. Thanks very much, guys. Really appreciate mm-hmm. being part of uh, your show, which I do enjoy listening to on a regular basis. And, uh, yeah, good luck with the pod and everything that you guys are doing as well. It's a great industry to be involved in, and I'm just uh, absolutely blessed to be able to do the things that I do, and I really love it. So thanks for having me. Just give us one more of these. <laughs> do we have a favourite? Randall with a non-preferred left hand. He makes it! <laughs> thanks, John. <laughs>